Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Strength to Strength. Um, it's always a blessing to gather together like this um, early Saturday morning. And today we're blessed to have with us uh, Bryant Martin. As many of you know, um, Bryant goes without need of introduction. And uh, so he's going to be talking to us this morning about hospitality. The title is Patriotic Ambassadors, Hospitality Worthy of a Jesus Embassy. So looking forward to that. Uh, Tony Zook, um, if you would lead us in opening prayer, and then we'll turn the time to you, Brian. Lord, thank you for this day you've given to us today. I thank you again for this opportunity to gather together and, and to encourage one another and to grow in your knowledge and hopefully in practice. And pray for Brother Brian today as he shares with us in your spirit that would minister to our needs. And uh, thank you for the gift of hospitality. Enjoy serving others. Amen. 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 Well, Brian, the time is yours. All right. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a real <clears throat> blessing to be with to be with you this morning. Um, getting together at six o'clock on a Saturday morning is typically uh, great, um, except uh, when you have to have a, a talk prepared. <laughs> uh, I don't know about. Uh, you, Jundi, but, uh, or anybody else who's spoken, uh, we all have, um, but yeah, that, that time to speak comes way too quickly, but, um, some people are wiser and prepare their messages way ahead and, uh, some prepare right before. So, um, I'm probably one of those, <laughs> the latter for sure. So yeah, real blessing to be here this morning. And, um, I care deeply about this topic on hospitality, hospitality worthy of a Jesus embassy. And I feel very inadequate for this talk as well. Um, just sense a huge need to, to grow in this area and um, to learn. So, yeah, looking forward to uh, getting into this. Um, we're on the end here of a theme. Um, I think this is going to be the last talk on this theme. Um but we've had, this is the ninth talk on around the theme of patriotic ambassadors. And uh, I remember, um, I think it was Glenn that proposed that, 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 uh, that theme name. And it was just, it was kind of a, uh, light bulb, a light bulb, patriotic ambassador. Of course, an ambassador should be patriotic, but, um, wow. Sometimes we've got to add adjectives to help us get it into our head. So. Thank you, Glenn, for, for that adjective there on ambassador. So may, may we, um, yeah, by God's grace, um, grow, grow in this, in this idea of being ambassadors of heaven, uh, rep- representing the home country on foreign soil. Um, and so, yeah, um, so I, I have five things I want to cover here, uh, this morning, um, five points. First of all, I'm going to talk about a story. And then we're going to talk about uh, what the Bible, um, the Old Testament, the Bible, Jesus, the early church has to say, the apostles. And then we're going to talk about um, removing bottlenecks. Um, see, I think I missed a point there. Uh, forget which which one. So, yeah. So talk about a story. Talk about hospitality. 
talk about Jesus' and the apostles in the Bible, and then um, and then talk about how we can remove bottlenecks. So actually, actually I think it's four four points there. So um, let's um, let's let's talk about a story. About two and a half years ago, I had the privilege of going to the country of Iraq. Um, with All Nations Bible Translation. There was a need there of a potential Bible translation. So I went with another um, ABT brother, and we went over there uh, for a couple of days and got our boots on the ground and met with the people and got to see the, the, the unreached people group there, the Bibleist group. Um, and it was a very interesting experience. I never thought I would get to go to Iraq. Well, while I was there, um, there was this older gentleman, part of the team, actually in his 70s, and he told me one day, he goes, hey, on Saturday, I'm going to hike out through those mountains there, um, and you're welcome to go with me. I thought, great. Uh, that sounds great. Uh, I'll go with you. Um, and then between that, that time of the invitation and the time I was leaving that early Saturday morning, one of the other team members told me, he goes, um, yeah, he said, you know, we, we, um, we love it to see, see this old brother gathering and go hiking and he goes way back in there and it makes us a little bit nervous actually because back in those mountains are Iranian militias and um you know we we you know we think to ourselves he's an old man big white beard if he bumps into some radical Islamists or radical militias back there they'll respect his age and and, and let him go but it always makes a little bit nervous <clears throat> so I had that in, my, in the back of my mind as we headed out early Saturday morning and this this brother was is amazing. He, he, I could hardly keep up. Uh, Seventy some years old. He was more, way more fit than I. And uh, so we we get way back in there. We get back in, in the mountains. We can actually turn around, look out across the plains, and we can see what was um, is is the what was the, the city of Nineveh out there. You know, you're coming to birth birthplace of civilization. Just uh, neat experience. We get back into one of the on uh, top of a mountain and he points across. He goes, we're headed uh, for over on that mountainside. There's a, uh, an ancient village that actually got blown up by, by Saddam. Uh, there was a village of dissenters and but we're heading that, that old village and there's um, a, a, a spring that bubbles out of the mountain and that's our destination. And I thought, all right, that's, that's great. And I'm there looking and I, I'm looking across, you know, down across the valley to that next mountain range. And I said, Hey, um, Brother, do you, is there people that live there? He goes, no, oh, no, no, it's, there's no one that lives there. I said, well, I'm seeing people moving around right there. And he's looks, he says, I can't see them. And I sure could see them. I was like, there, there's people there. He goes, ah, it might be a shepherd with his flock of sheep. I said, it's more than a shepherd. It's a group of people. And that didn't seem to bother him. It didn't seem to phase him one bit. Of course, I'm thinking back to this morning. So we hiked down into the ravine, up across the mountain to the other side, and then hit this old beaten trail that wrapped around to this ancient village and this um, this spring. And we come and we start walking on the, on, on this trail, and and I'm 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 tuned in, I, I'm keyed in. What what is going to happen to us around this corner? And we we pop around this corner, and there on this ledge, uh, this it's, you know, there's, there's ancient walls and old olive trees and, you know, just a incredible view. But I'm not looking at the view. I, I'm looking at this group of guys that I had seen. And I'm, I'm, I'm tuned in. I noticed right to the one side of them against, probably against an old wall was a gun or two. And 
They were kind of clustered around this little fire. Some of them were sitting there. And we popped around, and we kind of started walking towards them. And one of the men jumps up. And I'm watching him, and he looks at us, and he starts walking towards us, and he, and he smiles, and he goes, welcome, welcome. And, boy, I, the, the relief that just went through me was, was like, palpable. Like, I was, I was just, is this... Will they be friendly to us, or will they hate us? And, of course, you know, we're Americans in Iraq, and we know the history there. Um, but, yeah, he has a smile on his face, and he comes towards us, welcome, welcome. And he was one of the only men in that little circle that knew how to speak English. And instantly, the rest of the men stepped up, stepped up to the side, um, and they were motioning to us. like It was like they were prepared for us. Come, come. And they sit down here. Um, we, we, we sat down there around, the, around this little fire and they had goat cheese and they were roasting nuts and they were making their chai. I mean, they, they carried, they were carrying a, a kettle to, to make chai. Like people think I'm crazy about my coffee, but these guys are packing kettles and chai and stuff back into the mountains on this hike. I guess they were taking that day. And we sit down there and they put on, you know, pushing a little, little piece of wood in the fire. They put on more, more water for chai and, and they're getting this, you know, this, this, this cheese and stuff ready for us. Oh, they had naan too, which is, uh, Middle Eastern naan is just the best. And, um, and we sat there and we had the most epic picnic ever. Like you could look out across the mountains. You can see these these goat herders out across there. You can look out across the plains. I, I will never forget that 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 moment. But one of the things I will never forget is the kindness that I was shown. I was a stranger. I mean, I couldn't have been more of a stranger um, in a place where I know there's people who are not friendly to me as an American. And never forget that lesson that was taught to me, um, love of stranger or hospitality. And so I want us to think a little bit with the context of that story in mind. I want us to think a little bit of what is hospitality? And uh, and there's um, the the Greek word for hospitality is this. And I'm probably not going to say it right for you Greek speakers, but bear with me. Uh, And the word is Philia Zena. And for, for those of you who study Greek or even any kind of Bible scholar know that Greek has, I don't know, is it five or six or seven or whatever it is, probably seven, that perfect number, um, of, 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 language, of words to describe love. And, and Philia is one of those. And it means brotherly love or to love like a brother. So Philia, Philia Zena. And Zena means, it means a stranger or an immigrant. And you combine those two and basically the word, the description there is the one who loves strangers, immigrants, like you would love your own brother. And even, um, I think if I understand it correctly, you can even pull in the idea of, of Zena as like actually like an enemy, like to love your enemy. So this is, you know, we often think of hospitality kind of like kind of a formal Sunday kitchen table 
with with mashed potatoes and meat. Uh, and that's not that, that could be part of it. But believe me, that's just a narrow little slice of it. It's the idea of loving a stranger. And some of us probably think of those 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 instances in our lives where somebody loved us or showed us kindness that was irrational or that was just shocking. Uh, kind of like me on the mountain there in Iraq. Kindness to strangers. Um, to help us understand the, the idea of, of Philia Zenon, I have another word for you. That's the opposite. And, and that's a word that we hear thrown around today. I just seen it in an article yesterday um, talking about, so this is the word, xenophobia. I'm sure some of you have heard that word as you read about some of the issues of nationalism and things that, that, have, that are going on in our world here in the U.S., around the world. Um, and sadly, you have Christians who are, because of fear, kind of buying into this idea this terrible, terrible idea of xenophobia. What do you think that means? Xena, think, remember, stranger, right? Phobia is, is this incredible fear. Um, in our house here, I, um, I have a, well, in our home, I, I'm the one with the phobia of mice. Like, if there's a mouse, I'm climbing the closest thing. I'm, I have a phobia of mice. Now, when it comes to spiders and that kind of, I, I can take care of those and my wife has a phobia of those, but, it's a fear. It's an innate, deep, deep fear. Xenophobia. Um, it's, it's the, it's at the heart of prejudice and racism and, and, and what you, what you see around us. So, um, yeah, hospitality, xenophobia, which, which will we be part of? Which, which word are we going to, 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 um, hold close, uh, in our hearts? So let's let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about um, you know this is my fifth point that I was missing here. Um, so um, my, my our, our third one here we talked we talked about a story we talked about hospitality, the word what that means, and let's think about let's talk about an embassy. So our, our the title here is hospitality worthy of a Jesus embassy, and again almost like ambassadors. Um, the, the vassal word embassy is a, is a word that, that we all get pretty, pretty good. Um, for those of you who travel just yesterday, one of the brothers from our church is going to Bangladesh and he was down in Washington DC at the embassy to get his visa. They were kind of holding on to it and he went down there and stood for two and a half hours staring at them until they get, he, they gave him the visa. Um, so that was the Bangladeshi embassy. And so we're used to seeing embassies like, these big old buildings, you know, here's a German embassy, whatever. Uh, all these different embassies look really informal and kind of cold. But as, as I was studying that word embassy, I, um, I, I, I came across this, 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 this new idea. I didn't know this before. And that is when you, what, it's actually not the correct word for that building. Um, it's actually called a, a chancellery. Um, the building is the chancellery and the embassy actually is like the private quarters of the ambassador. Like it's where his private office is kind of like where, where who he is lives, um, where his team works out of. So it, it might be a room or two in the chancellery. I, I never knew that, but it's, it's kind of a, 
a light bulb like moment of when you think about um, this idea of being an embassy, it's not a formal building. It's actually kind of more of an identity of who, of who the ambassador is. And it's like the holy chambers, if you will. It's like the most intimate part of my, if, if, if you were a, uh, uh, an ambassador for the U.S. in Iraq, <clears throat> you know, it's, 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 it would be the part of that chancellery where, where you, your family lives and you live. So kind of an intimate idea. So we think of love a stranger, loving the immigrant, even loving your enemy, worthy of a Jesus embassy. So let's jump in a little bit here. Um, and, and let's look at just, let's just skim through some of the biblical texts as we think about, is this, um, uh, is this really a hallmark of, 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 of followers of Jesus? of God's children, love of stranger. And, and I know that I'm, I'm speaking to a group here that, that, um, that under, that understands this, that cares about this. We we're familiar with the biblical text for the most part. Uh, so I just have several verses here out, out of the old Testament. Um, uh, Exodus 22, 21 to 22. Uh, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him for you were a sojourner in the land of Egypt. Uh, you shall not mistreat any widow um, or fatherless child. So remembering, um, calling them back to remember when you were there in Egypt uh, and how that was. Now, take that, take that, and 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 do to others as you want to be treated. Of course, we have the account of Abraham there with with those men that visited him and how he he just went all out with extravagant hospitality. And of course that ties into uh, Hebrews 13, three, where um, the writer there is talking about sometimes we entertain or we actually do hospitality um, to, uh, to strength, to strangers, obviously, but to angels unawares. Um, So, and then then you have, you know, verse like Jeremiah uh, 22, three, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, to the foreigner, to the immigrant. Do, do no wrong and do no violence uh, to, the, to, to that immigrant, to the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. And so and we have just tons, tons and tons of Old Testament verses, texts that is that is just helping us see how God cares about the poor, the stranger, uh, even down to like the idea of don't glean the corners of your field, like that for somebody else, um, for the poor person, for the stranger, for the, 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 the person traveling through, for him to glean that himself. Um, so tons, tons of, 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 of Old Testament texts there. Um, so, and then we go to Jesus. Um, and, and I think of, you know, we, 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 we care deeply about the Sermon on the Mount as kingdom Christians. That's, um, we would love to be called the Sermon on the Mount Christians. And so I just, I just skimmed the Sermon on the Mount thinking about this idea of, of loving strangers. And it, it, it felt to me like as I, of course, I'm in this mode, right? Of, of hospitality and think about this topic. But as I looked at 
at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it was like the whole Sermon on the Mount is about loving the stranger. It's just packed in there. Um, Matthew 5, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Um, the end of Matthew, at the end of chapter 5, 43, 48, about love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And I think about that verse a lot as we serve people in our home and as we serve people at, at our cafe there at Sower's Harvest about I'm feeding people who are not God's children. I mean, I, I'm feeding people who um, who are promoting everything about that 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 flies in the face of 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 Christianity, of Orthodox Christianity. But here, God is saying, Jesus is saying, remember, God sends; He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And He goes on to talk about. Um, but the idea of, of how you, um, how you love, you know, it, it's easy to love those who love you. And then he ends with, therefore be perfect just as your father is perfect. So, um, so just, yeah, I, I just felt like we could pull out more verses out of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so we're thinking about Jesus and kind of some of his teachings here. Um, Luke five, um, I think also Matthew eight, this is recorded. But where, and I, I just, I love this little story of how Jesus calls Levi or, or Matthew uh, to be his disciple. And he's a tax collector. Like he's, he is the, the, um, he is a, uh, a traitor, the epitome of it. And Jesus takes him, uh, and says, follow me. And, and, and then Jesus and, and Matthew, they go to his home and he puts on this great feast. Um, and it says that there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat with them. I think also maybe Matthew might say sinners. Well, and then going on, I said, and their scribes and Pharisees complained against his, his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, now think of this verse or this quote of Jesus kind of as a bit, as a vision statement for hospitality. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So what an incredible, um, just a, a why of Christianity. It's the heart. It's the why. God is wanting us as his ambassadors, um, using, using this this ordinance, using this sacrament, using this incredible um, practice of Christian hospitality, using this um, as a way to to call sinners to repentance. The the, the healthy don't need a physician to stick to. Luke ten, um, the, the story of the, of the Good Samaritan, and um, I think we'll we'll keep moving along here. Uh, I was going to read some of that, but. Um, Again, I think I look at this, uh, I look at this, um, this, these verses there in Luke 10 as, as, um, as like the center of Christianity. You have a, a Samaritan 
going over to probably a Jewish man and taking care of him. It's just Jesus niggling in saying, you know, Jewish people, I didn't pick you for just for this focus of salvation. I picked you as a people to to move forward my great plan, and that is reconciliation of humanity to myself. This is not about you. Um, this is about people being brought into reconciliation with God. And so Jesus uses this incredible parable, this incredible teaching to um, to to say a lot of things. But one, one of the phrases then that has always thought to me was how, of course, you know, you have the Levite and the priest going to the other side. But it says the Samaritan went, went it says it, he went onto him or he went to him or he went over to him. Just an incredible idea there um, of, of, of really uh, filia zina, of love of stranger. And of course, takes care of him, uh, pays his bills. Just, just a beautiful, beautiful picture of the new humanity uh, in the Samaritan. Um, of course, going on uh, with uh, some of the teachings at the end of Matthew 25, Jesus said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Powerful, um, powerful uh, words there. And of course, um, yeah, for the, for those who had good works and for those who had, who had, who didn't, who did not do good works, who did bad works. Uh, all kind of wrapped up in this idea of serving the least of these among us. A stranger, remember, Zena, Philia Zena, love of stranger. Um, Jesus' kindness on the cross stands out as well. Um, there with those two thieves on either side, uh, they were strangers. But we, we know the one cursed and the other uh, defended Jesus. And of course, Jesus says, you know, you've with me in, in paradise. Kindness, even on the cross, even in the worst strait ever, Jesus is there absorbing the evil of humanity, enthroned on that crucifixion device, that cross, and he's there blessing humanity around him. Um, and I've been reading through Acts, and in Acts 10, Peter says how Jesus um, ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. This idea of eating, like someone who says Jesus ate his way to the Gospels, like a meal. Of course, that Middle Eastern context is very much about a meal. For those of you who've been there uh, to Asia, Middle East, um, they will kill, just as Abraham did for those three um, strangers, they will kill the fatted calf, if you will, for you. Like eating together is, is just really intimate, and it's a way to show honor to those around you. Uh, in Acts 11, the brethren at Jerusalem are offended at Peter who ate with men who were uncircumcised. So we see this eating idea, you know, keeps popping up through scripture. Um, yeah, someone has said Jesus didn't start ministries. He just ate meals with people. So, of course, um, you know, you, you, can hardly, you can hardly talk about hospitality without, without talking about dining together, eating together. But, of course, that's only a part of hospitality is one of my points here in this talk um, here this morning. So. Here we can keep, we can move on to the teaching of the apostles, um, Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality and exhortation to the Roman church who 
We're having an influx of people uh, fleeing from from uh, persecution. There's so the idea is you know doing good to those, going to doing good to all men, especially those of the household hold of faith. Um, uh, we see that you know Paul teaches that there's neither Jew nor Greek, uh, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male or and or female, for you are for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So again, the heart of the gospel, this idea of of, of seeing humanity, seeing God's image in those around us, even even the even the stranger. Um, I, I already quoted Revelation uh, Hebrews. 13, 1 and 2. Um, and, but I, I love in, in the context there of just reading through Hebrews, the, the verses right before Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 says this, uh, and this is out of a net Bible. So, so, or, or therefore, some translations say, therefore, since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us give thanks. And through this, let us offer worship, pleasing to God and devotion and awe. For our God is indeed a devouring fire or a consuming fire. And then it goes in this idea of let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality or, <clears throat> as some times say, to entertain strangers unawares. For doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. So this idea of a stranger, could it be an angel? We don't know. We don't, we don't know this person. So, of course, um, you know, we see in Titus and Timothy, they're looking at the qualifications of an elder and, and, um, that this idea of being hospitable is right there, loving strangers. And it's, it's really an interesting idea to think of the high calling of a shepherd of the flock who's shepherding a congregation to love strangers. And, and it's, it's, it's amazing. And it's in both of those, those texts. So again, just right at the heart, at the heart. Of Christianity, his love of stranger. Um, and of course, as we think about hospitality, we always we come back, we think of our homes or where we live as kind of seeing that as a beachhead for hospitality. And that is right. I, I, I just want to pound that idea of, uh, of using our homes, of, of us taking the initiative as, as followers of Jesus to, to use our homes as, as, um, outposts of the kingdom of God on earth. Um, right at the front that that's that's what we use and and it says that um in the in if, if, you, if you do look, look at the greek word for house or home um in the new testament it shows it shows like 180 times um and it's it's just your home i mean these elders were to be hospitable in their homes um and that's just understood um like one person says, not only were the early Christians to practice hospitality, they were to depend on it. So if you were traveling, you didn't just grab a motel. You, you, you found, I mean, gosh, that wasn't, that infrastructure wasn't really available. All right. But there were probably some kind of inns or, or places, you know, to kind of roll under, underneath a, a wall or something. Um, but it was this idea of like you found your people, and I don't know if it, has it ever bothered you when a friend showed up, calls you up, you know, some morning, goes, "Hey, I just called a motel down the, you know, across town here, and can we have a coffee or something?" Like, why didn't you call? Like, you should have called me, and uh, we could have put you out on the couch or something. 
Um, I don't know. That, that bugs me when, when, when that happens. And I probably have bugged others. I probably have had reasons I thought I could do, should do that or whatever. Um, but this, this I, you know, we have so much infrastructure around us. It just goes against opposite direction um, of, of this, this idea of hospitality within the household of faith. And of course, we have these crazy walls we have built and stuff like that that need to be torn torn down. Um, so the Roman Emperor Julian said this uh, of the early church, and this is familiar wording here, but I thought I just had to put it in here. Um, writing in the fourth century, said this. He said um, um, he regretted the process of Christianity because it pulled people away from the Roman gods. Um, he said atheism, okay, and when he says atheism, he's referring to the Christians because they served one God and he wasn't an, an idol. Um, so it's interesting, the Roman emperors called the Christians atheists because of that. It's just a twist, isn't it? Um, had been specifically, so he's saying that atheism or Christianity has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar, and that the, ga- the godless Galileans, these Christians, care not only for their, their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for help that we should render render to them. And that makes me think of a quote here that I don't have um, uh, that I don't have in here. I'm just going to quickly uh, catch that. Uh, Matt Landis says this. Yeah, he said, the church has grown the fastest when it has no sympathetic state which to delegate its work to. And um, I just came across that quote, and it's just like, that is so true. Like, we tend to think, I mean, the, the so the state, of course, is, designed by God to, to do these certain things for the to help humanity, to preserve humanity. Um, but and of course some states, some governments do it better than others. And we happen to live in a in a country where currently, you know, there's just a lot of infrastructure. Um, uh, we have a we have a sense of sympathetic state. And we and we just we and that catches a lot of the things that Christianity past has caught. But believe me, um, there's a lot of holes in it. And, and recently just interacting with several things that here in our community, um, people not part of our church, but people who, who are struggling with mental health, uh, one of our work, workers at, at sewers, um, uh, also a homeless person that one of our church families is, 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 is keeping at their house. Um, there, there is these, these structures in place, but there's just a ton of holes and it seems like it's growing. And so, um there's there's just lots of opportunity if if we look for it for sure. So moving on here. Um so coming to the 21st century, um, is there still a need for hospitality, for love of strangers? And um yes, emphatic, emphatic yes. Um whether it's for the household of faith and whether it's for promoting uh, or for advancing uh Christianity or even maybe not, you know, I, I sometimes kind of struggle with we do everything to advance the kingdom 
or kind of very much of a strong evangelistic like appeal. But um, this book right here, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church by by Alan Kreider, um, which he talks about how the how the early church was advanced. He 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 has lots of other texts beyond just what I just read about that that Roman emperor, where he he makes the point that you know the early church writers actually never wrote about evangelism, <clears throat> but they wrote about um, um, following Jesus, um, being faithful in community and, and discipleship, um, but but the word like evangelism never was there. Uh, and so just because they were just really wanting to follow Jesus and his ways, love of the stranger was a natural outcome to that. And that's, that was a powerful proclamation as we see, from what I just read there, to the world. And, and the church really, really grew, grew because of it. And so um, today, brothers and sisters, uh, love of stranger, hospitality, filia zina, is needed as much as in those times, and and even more so. Like we see, we see um, uh, nations where there's this incredible like radical radicalization of nationalism happening, not only in the U.S. Um, but in countries around the world. And and part of that, just right with that, right with that uh, nationalism comes xenophobia, xenophobia, because it's all about fear and preservation. And so quickly, so quickly, that can just become who we are, or just, it just affects us, and we, 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 we recede, we pull back, we make our lane a little longer, um, whatever that, however that is, uh, it, it, it comes out in xenophobic ways, and that is just, should not be known, known among us. And so, um, yeah, so, you know, I just read an article last night, this morning early, um, about, um, the globalization. There's a New, uh, a New York Times article. It's where it was saying that globalization has kind of been like the, the, uh, the gospel, if you will, the secular world and how just material goods working together was going to make us this, this, um, this, uh, this perfect world. Um, but, but we see that totally disappearing and, and just, you know, uh, right in our face right now, we have the whole Ukrainian crisis and you have Russia and China and us and some of the Western powers right there cutting each other off, like very quickly it's descending into chaos. And, and those, those kind of things filter right in to our local communities and affect us. And of course it flows into politics as well. And so, um, as followers of Jesus, the, the best thing we can do, of course, is eschew politics uh, with all our with all our fervor. Eschew it. Don't allow it to affect us. And in turn, then put forward this radical um, love of, of strangers and those around us and, and our neighbors. Um, of course, I, I I missed one of the most important parts there of Luke Luke ten, the Good Samaritan, was you know this lawyer saying. Hey, what's, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And, and Jesus said, well, what is it? And, um, and quoting, love, love the Lord God, with your heart, soul, mind, strength. And then your neighbor is yourself. And, and Jesus said, that's right. So who's your neighbor? You know, and then, and the guy says, who's your neighbor? And, and that's, that's where Jesus has this loop, this good Samaritan story. So yeah, loving your neighbor as yourself. So <clears throat> I want to talk now. Um, my last point here is I want to talk about 
how we can remove bottlenecks um, in our lives. Um, remove bottlenecks to open up for a radical welcome or radical hospitality. And we just moved to a new house. And our driveway route out here was designed by um, somebody who had a terrible design um, idea. And the, the driveway starts out narrow and comes in, and then it it, it widens um, up, up to our kind of our shop here, little shop that we have. And it's not very, it's, it's about, it's about enough to get like three vehicles in it or two vehicles and then, um, but it's, it's the worst thing when it comes to like people coming to, to visit you. Like it was, it's like a trap for vehicles. And we, we came from a, a house where we had a pretty slow street. You park on the street. We had a big wide driveway. We had a front yard that you could pull into. Ours is a bank here. And people just park anywhere. Parking was never a problem for us or maybe our neighbors thought it was sometimes but basically from my perspective it was it worked out really well and um and now we have, we're on a busy street a bank in this driveway that is an incredible bottleneck it's a frustration central for having people around like where do i park where do i you know where do i park where do i park um can we move to vehicles you know and it's, it's just a real pain and so um lord willing in in a week or two we're going to tear out that bottleneck. We're going to open that driveway up and I can't wait for the day to open that driveway up, cut that bottleneck out. And so I have five words as I thought about, re, about taking out, the, about removing bottleneck, about removing our driveway. Um, five words that I'm going to, that I'm going to use as I think about moving the driveway. It's um, remove, remove the bottleneck, um, scrape off the grass and topsoil, destroy the existing natural stone curving and and finally pack in some new gravel with the goal of opening our driveway up for our guests for having a welcoming driveway so those five words i like to look at as we think about how can we take that and make an analogy for how we can remove bottlenecks in our lives and i see times flying away here on me so number one on the idea of remove I have a couple phrases that I'd like for us to remove ourselves from. Um, and it goes like this. Remove the back a long lane, holier than now, spiritual and physical dichotomy, and this is my personal space idols. Remove those, the, those ideas. Take them away and, and open it up for a kingdom embassy of Jesus. So remove those things so we can open it up, open up the flow to be a faithful embassy of Jesus here on earth. And there's just a couple um, ideas as we think about that. So, you know, like someone has said, um, the idea of remove the back in long lane, um, uh, a brother has said, he said, he thought that's what the Anabaptists were, but as he studies Anabaptists and the early Anabaptists and, and, um, the early church, he sees them not living back a holler. He's a southern brother saying this. They're not living back a holler. Rather, they're, they're out engaging the world and storming the gates of hell for the kingdom of God. I'm holier than now so quickly. That's something that, 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 um, we can, uh, project on other, or ourselves, 
we're better than other people. It's just natural struggle. As humans, we need to repent and realize that there's just a, there's just no one that is good. And to remember this idea that well, many of us have generations, generations of blessing and privilege, if you will, behind us, while there's many around us that do not. So realizing that we're just a sum of a lot of input into our lives and be humbled by that. Of course, spiritual and physical dichotomies, this idea that, you know, we're going to really focus on the spiritual things and the physical things that that's not that important. Um, and of course, the individualistic um, idea that we've been given by uh, us here in America, like I, I have lived in in urban settings with neighbors close around me for the last 14 years. And, um, you know, I have seen my neighbors hosting very few people except one of them. And that was my neighbor where we just moved from. Um, and he was, uh, he's, he was a party guy and, uh, he was actually, you know, a lot of fun to be around. He was, he was fun, um, funny. Um, and people love being around him and, um, and he, he hosted a lot of people. But outside of that, very few, almost, it's like people's house is their own absolute space and they walk in the door and sit down and watch their TV all evening. That's just who they are. So this, this is my personal, we've moved these idols from us. Um, so a couple, couple quotes here. Um, as we, as we think about this, um, this idea of, of, of allowing and removing some of these false false dichotomies. Uh, Rebecca Mui, um, uh, sister, Kingdom Christian sister from, I think, South Korea. I can get in trouble for that, but I, I think that's where she's from. She says this, and Jesus didn't show up with a sermon, but with grilled fish. Feeding people is divine ministry. Of course, as a cafe owner, I, I love that. Um, amen on that one. Um, but, yeah, it's this idea, like, after the resurrection, Jesus, like, Grill some fish and says, come eat, meat. Um, Stanley Mooneyham says this, there are two mandates in the New Testament. One is witness, the other is service. To ignore either of these is to seriously cripple the church. To engage in evangelism of soul without recognition that those souls also have bodies is foolish and unreal. Love which is demonstrated in tangible acts of Christian caring is irresistible. And just, um, and I know that's true. I, I, I've seen it. I've seen it in other people around me, and I've seen that in, a, in, a, in, in, in the work that I have done by God's grace. The people who were, who were caustic atheists, um, a gentleman that I interact with quite a bit, just in the last week told me that if it hadn't been for um, the, the 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 ones he's interacted with at our cafe, the Anabaptist Christians there, had it been for for us showing him that there is a Christianity that is not in your face and angry, that is not using politics to coerce to, to coerce the ones who aren't Christians. If it hadn't been for us showing him that. He said, I would be a, a lot more nasty atheist today. He said, I'm, 
you have warmed my heart towards Christianity. And this is somebody that we have interacted with over a six year period. And he's become a really good friend. Like, um, he's, and I respect him as a, as a person. He's, he's a, a very respectful person and has some values that challenge me. Um, but, but, uh, to, to show people that, that we care, um, to show people another way, uh, by God's grace, a more flourishing understanding of, of, of Christianity and, and doing it through tangible acts of Christian caring and just very simple tangible acts. Um, and lastly, uh, here on this one about removing this, all these phrases and opening up for a kingdom embassy, uh, this is another whole topic in itself, but as we do these things, it prepares us for discipleship in the church. Like the church, our churches are void of, of, of people who can disciple others. And oh, I have a quote here. It says this. It is not, it is not that churches do not know how to do or, or talk about discipleship. We have plenty of that. It is that churches do not have the social spaces in which to do discipleship. Churches do not know how to cultivate the social spaces where discipleship happens in the spirit. It's not my quote. So this idea of that you meet in a building, some, some do, and that kind of becomes where you go to church and our homes are off, off, off grounds. Discipleship happens most naturally in our homes and we need to push into that. And so as we do these things of using our homes as, as outreach, it, it prepares, equips us for discipleship within the church. Okay. Moving on here. So number two, um, I, I, I missed one of the things that we need, I need to do my driveway out here. I need to move and lower the fence. So it has a big old high fence that isn't, that, um, is just, Unnecessary. Uh, it, it blocks us from people. And so I need to move and lower the fence. And so the, the idea, the analogy I want to make here is move and lower the expectation for deep theological discussions. All right. And as you do that, it opens up the door for mundane conversations. So this idea that every time I have someone at home, I've got to have some spiritual deep conversation is just not realistic. You're going to have people in your home, and it's just going to be a lot of mundane talk, and that's okay. But also, there's a flip side of this, and this idea that i got to have deep theological discussions scares people off from doing hospitality. It just scares them off, and I just have tons of things I can talk about here. Um, uh, Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Come of the House Key, she says this, um, hospitality is not Ph.D., Christianity. It's ABC Christianity. Uh, it's basic. It's we, we don't need to have all the answers. I tell my atheist friend and he would regularly some, some questions. I don't know. I don't know how to think about that. Um, wow. Uh, I just I, I don't know how to answer that. And he says, you know, I, I'm actually fine with that. I'm, I'm kind of tired of Christians who have like a bam, 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 a bam, bam, bam for everything I ask. And, um, and, and I'm not trying to, I just, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. And, and that's okay. We can say that. And actually people respect that because God is way bigger than who we are. We can't imagine. We can't reduce him to several points. Um, 
So as you think about move and lower the expectations for divine for theological discussions, and which opens up the door for mundane. Like um, the last one, the last time we had our neighbors into our place for a meal, um, I realized I was sitting there. My children were carrying out most of the conversations with my neighbor, and I was just sitting there just listening. And it, it was fun to hear them ask questions. And after a while, I was like, okay, well, children, now it's time to be free to be quiet so we can actually talk a little bit here. And but it was fun. I was realizing that my children are carrying out. I can just you know, set my coffee and listen. Um, and that's okay. So teach your children how to interact. Uh, and actually, they probably just get that best of all just by osmosis, by seeing you do it and then they can do it. Um, I hand out books. Uh, boy, I, I'm not much of a, of a, of a theologian. But I say, here's, but I, I always carry a stack of books with me typically wherever I go. And I've, I've had, yeah, numerous people who I'm interacting with today who have moved towards kingdom Christianity because of a book that I've given them. Not my own persuasion, but just here to book three. Um, and often, and sometimes right now I'm trying to arrange an appointment with my friend, um, who's a devout Catholic Christian who became a Christian at 18 years old by the witness of several of his Catholic friends in high school. Um, and who's a radical follower of Jesus. And we've just met him the last six months and he's got tons of questions and he's, He's, you know, he's a, he's just graduating college. He's somebody who's disciplined his brain. He's really dug, you know, he's, he, he's really, he understands the, the Catholic reasons for the things they did and how to use the Catholic apologetics towards Protestants or he's realizing I'm not a Protestant now, but you know, he, he uses tactics on you, on me. And, um, but, but he's, uh, uh, but he asks questions that sometimes I say, boy, I don't know how. I'm not, I'm not a historian, but I have a brother who is a historian. And, and we actually were able to sit together for a while and I'm working on making another appointment with him. So you don't have to have all the answers. Just have the resources around you, whether it's a book or a brother in your church, etc. cetera. Um, I love this quote from N.T. Wright. And I think of this quote often in my work because, like I said, I'm not, I'm not a historian. And N.T. Wright says this. Our primary task is not so much to give answers to impossible philosophical philosophical questions as to bring signs of God's new world to birth. So it's not to give answers. It's not, it's not our primary task, but somehow bring signs of God's new world, new world to earth. Are we not ambassadors of the heavenly kingdom? Representatives, we're on foreign soil representing uh, our home kingdom, our home soil, and and and, and it's, it's beautiful. It's it's the Garden of Eden, really. And so, just you know, by our kindness, by ABC Christianity, we can do that. Okay, number three, <clears throat> um, scrape off. All right. So I talked about how I need to scrape off the grass and scrape off the topsoil there for this drive, and I had scrape off the seven sweets and the seven sours meals. Clean houses, Pinterest designs, charcuterie board trends, and yes, even the idea that hospitality always has to have a meal. So, come help myself. Um, but the idea of like, it doesn't have to be everything. It does not have to be that way. Um, it can be very, very simple. And I have people around me, um, who, who show that in beautiful ways. I, there's a family in our church here who's 
right now has a homeless lady living with him in a very I mean a small little house, very simply furnished, but that place is heaven on earth in many, many ways. And they're just showing this beautiful example of trying to help this lady, you know, with a chronic issue move on to and 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 being an advocate for her, um, but trying to help her. Like big questions. How do we do this? I don't know. So the idea of, of, of scrape off all these big fancy things, opening up the way for more frequent hosting. So it should be it should hardly be known among us that we are people who have not had anybody into our home in the last year from outside of our kind. And that should be that just shouldn't that should be scandalous to us. Scandalous. We should be having people into our home. Often, some can do more than others, but of course, there's got to be a continuum here. But we need to kind of cut away some of these things. Brother Finney says this. He says, you can tell who you are by these two things, your checkbook and your calendar. So are you scheduling like places and meals to meet with people on your calendar? Some of us have a mental calendar. Some of us have a Google calendar. doesn't matter. Um, are you like... Is there spots there where you're like plugging people in to meet with them? It takes effort. Um, our congregation here in trying to like, how do we, um, so you can either have all your church programs, your times that you go pass out tracks. I'm not really interested in, in, in kind of that programming type thing, but yet how do we as a church like provoke each other love and good works in these areas? And so we have done, um, you know, every other month we have a week we call friendship week. And the goal with that friendship week is like saying, hey, who are you having this week? What neighbor are you having this week at your place? So the goal is that week, our congregation and our singles are hosting people. And some of us do it more naturally than others. And so it's, it's a, it was a good push for Linnell and I. Like we can easily have people from our cafe and international students, stuff like that. But it was like our neighbor right next to us, are we going to actually have them into our home? I find it the hardest thing. Um, it's the neighbor right next door. That's going to be the hardest um, to get into your home. And so, but yeah, so maybe a friendship week. There's different ways. So moving on here into number four, we have two more to go here. We'll be done. Um, number four is I talked about how I need to just destroy a natural stone curbing that was there. This house was built in the fifties and um, they have this, this natural stone curb. I need to destroy it, remove it. Um, bury it. And so my analogy here is destroy fear and which will open up for disquieting exposure. Disquieting. And that's something that, um, brother Gary uses in his book, Reaching America. He's got a whole section called disquieting expo- exposure. And disquieting means, disquieting means introducing fears of exact anxiety or worry. Or it's like a, it's like an engagement. It's like a, an apologetic or a polemic, really. It's, it's, it's a polemic. It's, it's, it's maybe, um, somewhat subversive polemics. It's kind of living in front of people, being faithful to Jesus, living your life, watching for ways to share about your faith. And I think of 1 Peter 3 15 when I think of that. But in your hearts, revere, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have, 
but do this with gentleness and respect. So it's this, it's this living in a way, um, a salty way that elicits like questions. And I love it when someone asks a question. Someone asks a question to you. It's just, um, it's, it's a perfect opportunity to dig in. So destroy fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we have tons of fear. I talked about earlier kind of this globalization and then this, this maybe this opposite reaction, which is very nationalistic, like, um, aggressive, uh, political systems that just, and they, and they operate on fear the whole way through. And it, it's, it's, it's it, it infuses us. It, it affects us. So we need to destroy fear and, and move in, not move back. Step forward in confidence, but not being nasty people. Uh, not, you know, my atheist friend has been so turned off by a nasty, fearful, impoverished Christianity that has made him that. He grew up in a Christian environment, has made him that. A Christianity that focuses on get a ticket so you go to heaven so you don't go to hell. And then this idea you can live like you want has just turned him off. And so as we, we can step forward by God's grace, showing a, a picture of heaven on earth. And through that, eliciting conversations is it's polemical, but always doing it with gentleness and respect. Um, one of the ideas, too, as I think of disquieting exposure, I think that the kingdom of God is most fully represented in a gathering of the saints in the body of believers, whether that's in your front yard or whether that's in your, in your meeting house. Um, but where your church is, is, is the fullest proclamation of the gospel. And I, and that's why uh, John B talked about this in his message earlier in this series, series of advancing the gospel. We talked about how we need to seek to be geographically located and amen, brother John. Thank you. Um, if we can seek to be more geographically located, it gives us an opportunity to compound this disquieting exposure because we can do that as a body. John D. also says this quote, um, Jesus wants a society of redeemed people to show the world what the whole world would look like if everyone obeyed the king. And I have a part of, to hear to read out of Rosario's book, but I don't have time. Maybe I do have time. All right. Well, this is what I like. She hammers on people who are fearful. And I just I said, and she says this. Too many of us are sidelined by fears. We fear that people will hurt us. We fear that people will be negative, will negatively influence our children. We fear that we do not even understand the language of this new world order. The least of all is people. We long for days gone by. Our, our sentimentality makes us stupid. We need to snap ourselves out of this self-pitying reverie. The days are ahead. The best days are ahead. Jesus advances from the front line. So let's remove fear by God's grace and press forward in a disquieting, polemical exposure as humble. Number five, the last one here is pack down. So I'm going to 
remove the, I'm going to scrape off the grass in the soil or the grass in the topsoil. I'm going to pack in gravel there. And I have here packed down the ugly head of guilty till proved innocent and open ourselves up to the liberating, liberating sphere of giving people the benefit of the doubt. And the reason I say, and I say that because I'm one of the worst, my children would say I'm one of the worst offenders here. And they, they love, they've gotten me a couple of times on this. Uh, and just recently in, in moving to this new place, uh, there was a neighbor here um, that all of a sudden there's six children um, on a little property of 0.38 acre. And they weren't quite used to that. And my children are from the neighborhood we came from. And the, the backyards are pretty big. All the neighbors didn't care about children kind of running hither and yon. They, they were totally fine with it. So our children, we kind of moved into this place where it's like defined lines. <laughs> and, um, well, they ended up on their property a couple of times. So I caught them and pretty soon there was a whole row of red flags. Um, and this person, I saw them a couple of times would not look my way. And I told my children, okay, we got some work to do here, children. Like we got to like respect that person's property. Big time. No, no one dare go over there. And we, we need to look for ways to be kind to them because that person's not friendly. Well, it wasn't but a couple of days and, um, I was out in the side yard and here and that person was in his backyard. I said, hi neighbor. And he came over and was very kind and friendly to us. My children point out later, like you judged him. You may, and, and anyhow, so we've had some fun with this. Uh, it's happened before. And I find myself doing this. I, I, I tend to operate from the standpoint of guilty to prove innocent. So we need to pack down that ugly head and open up for this liberating spirit of benefit of the doubt. Like give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, I can tell more stories here, but our time is up. Um, so how do I wrap this up here? Um, I'm going to wrap this up by quoting Several paragraphs from the, the poem, The Unbarred Door. Our children recently had a, did a play of this poem at our school program. And it's a powerful story of Philia Zenoth, of Love of Strangers, and how he pushed back against the xenophobia of the people around him. And so, beautiful poem, look it up. But, he, but this is the words he says to the man, to the settler, who's trying to get him to keep his powder dry and get ready for the to shoot the Indians. This is what he says. He says, my friend, said he, this is Amos, the Quaker man, the God I serve commands me not to kill. And sooner would I yield my life than disobey his will. One God I have, but used alone against the wolf or bear to point it at my fellow man. My hand would never dare, but I shall put this thing away. They shall not see it here, for the old gun in hands, in hands unskilled might do some harm, I fear. Besides, the Indians are my friends. They will not do me ill. Here they have found an open door, and they shall find it still. If we can just take that. When your right-winger Christian friend wants you to put up some walls and get out and go to the polls, etc., whatever that is, uh, whether it's 
um, just whatever fear, whatever is coming at us, if we can just say, hey, that's not, I, no sooner would I yield my life, and sooner would I yield my life than disobey his will. And, and push back and say, no, I will not allow fear to drive us. And it is a powerful poem, touching. So, by God's grace, let's um, practice this um, hospitality. It's only by God's grace. Um, we need we need to pray that in our times we could we could pray for a movement among true followers of Christ in America and around the world of those who are stepping forward and advancing the cause of the kingdom with hospitality, with friend of being friends of strangers. So I'll turn it back to you, Brother Brian. All right. Thank you, Brother Brian. There's a lot to think about. It brings up a lot of uh, questions in my mind, and it looks like um, maybe in the minds of many others, too, who have uh, been putting things in the chat. So we're going to go directly to the chat and um, just uh, open it up here uh, to all of you. If um, if you have any questions, just um, turn on your camera, unmute yourself, and we'd love to, to hear from you. Who will be first? Brother Brian, very, very good teaching. Uh, I can tell it comes from a heart of a servant that is living it, and it's not just reading in a book. So <laughs> uh, very, very inspirational. It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And one of the things that I've wrestled through this over the last handful of years in our community and walking with many Anabaptist churches in the salt and light, but anyway, uh, and Gary's book, um, Reaching America was written during that same journey and we wrestled through a lot of these things together. But one thing that is profound in the scriptures to me is that when you think about many important things about the church today, um, whether it's how to do weddings, how to do baptisms, how to, how the local church should assemble itself, how to appoint leadership, ordinations, and the list goes on. You know, Jesus never got very, very specific on those things. And, you know, maybe that's the diversity of the saints in many different cultures and places around the world. But there's one place in the scripture in Luke 10. He said this. It, it, he got very, very specific. And and it, I'm sorry, Luke 14. And, and it's actually about how to make out a guest list. And he also says how to not make it out. And he says this. In verse 12, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. And in verse 13 and 14, he actually tells us how we should do it. He said, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And, you know, I think when he gets that specific, when Jesus gets that specific, the church, me, us, ought to sit up and take notice. What does that mean? And anyway, it's uh, the thing that I think, too, that many of us just simply miss the needs around us. And for some, uh, for, for whatever reason, the Lord has had me work in overseas contexts in very, very poor, and there's beggars and many needs all around. Well, I'm here to say that the needs are all around us right here in our own communities, all through America. Do we see them? Can we see them? And uh, it's not an easy journey, but boy, it's a 
it's an inspiring journey. So thank you for teaching us, Brian. It's very special. Thanks for pointing that, those verses out. I had it on my on my notes here, but <laughs> I, I, I'm not the best at doing notes, Clyde. You need to teach me how to use words. So. <laughs> no. Nah. Thanks for pointing that out. Very good. Man, who will be um, who will be next? Hey, Brian. Good morning. Morning, brother. Very good talk. Um, I wrote in there if if you go out expecting if you have if you have a goal in mind when you go to witness pe- witness to people. Unfortunately, a lot of people like myself have a negative word to tell you. So go with no expectations and just expect to be nice. And a lot of times people receive that quietly more than if I have an agenda. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. You know what? More people will get rejected that way. And unfortunately, I'm still trying to work on this premise to see if I can round some of these conversations back to Christ. Um, what did Gary Miller say? No, it was Ken Miller. He said, no, it was uh, Alan Roth. He said, friendship evangelism is a great premise as long as you get to the evangelism. And that's where I'm stuck sometimes because I don't know when to go. Um, so yeah. I really inspired by you. I just want to back up and be quiet. <laughs> Patrick, um, I struggle with the exact same thing. So, yeah, how do you move these conversations along? Because sometimes you need to, and sometimes a person – you know, you realize that a person is way over here in the continuum and it's going to take them a long time. And, and is there ways to, to move it along? Like, I think it really, I think we need to be praying about it. Um, but, but realizing too that, yeah, freely you have, been, freely you have received, freely give. So there, there's got to be this, this idea too that it just takes a long time for change and patience and love and, and prayer and yeah, no, it's, I, I grapple with the same thing. I, I really don't have a, a, a an answer for you on, on, on a seven point formula there, brother. Following brimstone witnessing is great in the moment, but it only serves the person that was witnessing. But, you know, I wish I had a team of people praying that I would have ended up in prison 20 years prior to me getting there because when I broke, when my life turned into a, a cesspool and I had nowhere else to go, at that point, I turned to the only source that was available, Jesus Christ. And that's the point in Brother Young's book, uh, The Heavenly Man. Remember him? Remember him? He made a moment, but he said when they ran out of money and they had no way for their own um, resources to, to fix or, or, or do something with this, that's when they turn their eyes from them to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, C.S. Lewis has a great quote about, I forget how it goes, but it's, the idea is in the end, is suffering, Jesus, uh, God is shouting at us in our pain. And, uh, yeah, so I, uh, I, I'm realizing right now with the one person I'm interacting with for six years that there's, there's some struggles, there's some pain there, and um, it's an opportunity. <clears throat> Hey, Bryant. This is Corwin. Um, appreciate what you've 
shared. Um, I, I agree heartily and I've watched you live this stuff out and it's very inspirational. Um, one question that I have is, um, you know, as we look at the end of Matthew five and Jesus teaching about, uh, doing things to those that we agree with and like and are friends with, um, and then Luke 14 is Clyde brought out, um, do you have any principles that would guide our focus for hospitality as it relates toward followers of Jesus versus those that are not? Yeah, well, I, I, that is just a tension that I think every Christian, every Christian community has that's being faithful to the gospel of like, you know, the idea of, of more of if we're not healthy inside, we can't be healthy out. And so and I think there's, I think when you look at giftings in, in those, in those areas, if someone were gifted kind of as the pastors of the flock, if you will, and then there's some that are more gifted as, as, um, as the quote, you know, evangelists. And so, yeah, no, it, it, it's a tension that, that I know that we've, we've, we've felt and struggled with. You know, if every, if everyone's focused out, boy, it turns ugly in. Um, so, and, and then you're, and when you understand the society idea, as John Dee so always points out, like it's not about a kingdom ethic; <laughs> it's about a society of, of redeemed people proclaiming to the world. And and I think that we got to keep that there because naturally, what church is hard. There's struggles. There's hard things there, and it's easier to get out and be fishing. But a fisherman knows that either he's got to clean the fish or someone's got to do it. Um, and so, yeah, no, it, this, this idea of, of seeing the church, seeing the, the, your community as really the most holistic and powerful proclamation of the gospel. If we can keep that at the center, then I think it kind of helps other things kind of fall in line. So yeah, and then you realize too, you can't save the world. Like you can only do so much and God isn't calling you to that. So we need to, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's a uh, again a ten- we're touching on a tension here that that I don't have all the answers for for sure but um, we probably have you know we all have valleys and in, in mountaintop experiences where we're doing well in these things and when we're not doing well so we need God's God's wisdom in these things but good good question and I think along with that oftentimes. Yeah, we, we want to reach out and how well do we know the brothers and sisters in the church? Um, like, do we, do we know him well too? Do we know what he walked through or just on Sunday when we were there? Um, yeah, we, we have a weekly campfire. We finally learned to slow down as a family and have a campfire on Saturday night and just after supper, whatever's left to be done, you just put aside and have a campfire. And now this year, my children are saying, you know, we need to put on our status that we have a campfire tonight and anyone's welcome to come to the campfire or put a sign in the yard or, or whatever. Um, how can we incorporate that to make it, um, build, build relationships, not just for us. Yeah. Love it. You taught your children well, but yeah, again, the tension there of family and investment in your family. And how that can get diluted really quickly when you always have other people with you. And there's some training things that just really happen kind of one on one in that. And so that's, that's another, um, yeah, something we haven't always been done well at for sure. 
So church, family, and family, both both really at the core of, of really a faithful witness. Any other further uh, comments or questions before we wrap up here in the next few minutes? Brian, you had mentioned that you, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Yeah, you had mentioned that you schedule um, times during the week to have people over, things like that. How often do you schedule things like that? Like, Is there a balance between that and um, making sure you have enough family time with a young family? Yeah. Um, so everyone's different. Uh, we all have our own challenges and struggles and um, needs at times. So I would say that my family kind of came through a season here of, of, uh, of kind of stepping back and, and not going as much um, outreach. Um, it's, it's good, good for us and needed. Um, so you'll have your seasons where you'll pull back. Um, so, yeah, I, um, again, this is a question that, that, um, needs much prayer. I, I do think at times that, that we have maybe in the quotes, uh, idolized family. Um, and it's, it's one of those idols that I talked about back to that we need to remove. Um, kind of just going back a long lane, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have 40 acres so I can raise my family on. And it's just this focus on this insular family is, is really, um, it's not, that's, that's not a, a proper understanding of our calling as, as, as kingdom Christians. But it's, it's at the core though. So, um, it's very important, but yet we need to keep it in this proper place. And even realize that sometimes Jesus caught me at work. We need to, have Jesus over all these things. Everything's a false servant. Um, so it's, it's, um, I think it could be called attention that we need to work through and pray and, um, allow other people to speak into. So, you know, I, I have people spoken to my life from our church and you're too busy. You gotta slow down. And that's not always fun to hear. And, uh, so sometimes asking people around you, but I, I do think we're often, we often inhibit ourselves too by, this idea of, you know, fearful influence our children. Um, yeah, no, that, that's, that's hurt us for sure. But again, like we need wisdom in these areas too. I, I'm all about, um, seeing our children raised in, in good, wholesome settings. Um, but yeah, in the world and the other world, give us wisdom. Uh, good question. Brian, I really appreciated the sharing this morning. Uh, one thing that I've thought of numerous times is we need these people. We often get the idea that we have the answers and they need us. But we need them too. Yeah, amen. Yeah, for, I, I, 
I think uh, I'm just amazed as I look at uh, the landscape of the Anabaptist and Kingdom Christianity, you know, and there's, you know, there's brothers there that are able to teach um, some of the deep concepts of the kingdom of God in ways that I sure can't. And, um, and those, those aren't, those weren't raised in a, in a, in an Anabaptist home. And so that's amazing. Yeah. God, God needs them. The kingdom of God's God needs them. And I, I, I think sometimes I, I like to critique that statement a little bit of we need them. We do. Um, men, but, uh, the, the kingdom of God, God needs them. Thank you for sharing that. I know there's there's brothers here. I mean, there's people. I feel like I'm a baby Christian or a baby in in this because I see people around me enter in church that are uh, that are that are way beyond what I'm doing, and I'm just amazed with that. Whether it's a family in Detroit that has you know refugee families living with them, uh, some of those things are just you know a homeless person living with them. People, those are the, those. It's one thing to bring people into your home and for a time, evening, and Time just, um, but to actually have people living with you and discipling like that is, that's another whole, that's a, another whole level. And, uh, and I see that around me and, and that just, it touches my heart. Uh, so yeah. And, and I'm sure there's some on the call that are, that are doing that, which I know there are. So God, God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else before we adjourn here? Can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Yeah. Oh, I, I wanted to add, uh, I wrote in the comments, uh, Jesus loved us. God loves us first. So we, now it's our turn to love strangers first. Just like God did. Thank you, brother. Yeah, that was the most powerful. Um, yeah, full full color painting, right? High res. Jesus, God coming in the flesh. Irrational idea. Amen. Thank you for for sharing that, brother. Amen. Well, it's been a great time to be together here this morning and uh, thanks to everyone who joined us live we'll um, close with a prayer and brother Brian if you would lead us in prayer and then following that just a quick announcement before we um, end this uh, for this morning brother Brian pray father we come to you in the name of your son father we we know that like it says there in, in, in Timothy there's a mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. This mediator, this, this, um, high priest, uh, heavenly high priest, this, the one who's going to come in the flesh and walk among us and, and, and show us what it looks like to be children of God, 
and packed in that three-year ministry that we see there in the Gospels. We see him being um, exercising this this powerful, at the heart of it, this love of stranger over and over and over again. And also teaching that and even helping us realize that if our works are not lining up with these teachings, that we will be condemned to death. And so, Lord, we come before you um, as vessels that are needy, uh, that sometimes get tired, that, that struggle, that fail, uh, but yet people who want to see God's kingdom come, who want to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, we ask that you would have mercy on us, that you would bless our people efforts, that that you would, um, that we could be faithful sowers and waterers and that you would receive the, the glory, the harvest of these things for your glory, for your kingdom, because you're worthy of that, Lord. You're worthy of worship from every tribe and tongue and nation and people on earth. So, Father, give us that deep sense, that tenacious endurance that says we would not capitulate to the ways of, of nominal Christianity, uh, to the ways of the world, but that we will press in to be a faithful ambassadors here on earth. So God and direct us, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks again, Brother Bryant. So just a quick announcement here for the next time. In two weeks from now, we will have with us uh, Brother Adam Boyd. Adam Boyd will be joining us from Papua New Guinea, which uh, if you don't know where that is, it's about as far away as you can get from uh, where many of us are now. So uh, he's going to be speaking in a two-part um, session. There's going to be a morning and an afternoon where he will be talking on dispensationalism and the people of God. So the morning is going to be at the same time, which is 6 o'clock Eastern time. And then uh, part two will be in the afternoon, also uh, the same day, two weeks from now, at 3 o'clock. And that will be, um, yeah, that's our next meeting, two weeks from now. Look forward to um, seeing all of you then. And um, may the Lord uh, bless your day. God bless you and go with God. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.